and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And I am Nick. All right. Yeah, so we're excited to finally have on the show Nick Schwatterer. Um, I've never gotten a chance to meet you before, so I'm really excited to have this this talk today. Uh, we've talked a lot in the Twitterverse, but never got to have a face-to-face. -face. So um, I'm excited, man. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Um, today we are going to talk about hobby programming. So uh, that's going to be a probably a wide-ranging discussion and probably lots of fun, but we'll we'll find out what happens when we get into it. But before we get into the meat of the show, week in review. Creston, how was your week? Oh, no illness. <laughs> Mostly illness. Oh, but apart man. from that, yeah, still just doing a bunch of different consulting work, doing uh, work in my product, nothing really significant. Another time I'm spending is also looking at chat GPT and thinking about how not for programming purposes, but for like content creation what's the best way to incorporate that? Not necessarily to write stuff for you, but accelerate the process of content creation. So I've been spending some little bit of time looking into that. Uh, but yeah, mostly it's just been the same old, same old, cause that's all I could muster. <laughs> Getting a little ill. What about you? Um, I have been, well, it's been kind of a headless chicken type of week for me, just all kinds of little things bouncing around all over the place. But, um, I, I got a, I released the initial cut of the GraphQL stuff. So that's to our front end team so they can start playing with that. And we, we managed to cut a, um, a, a nasty API call, rest API call from 20 seconds down to about one second with GraphQL. So that was, that was a really happy thing. Um. Hey, Colin. Welcome to the show. Oh, sorry you're sick, man. hate that. I, f I feel you. <laughs> it's going around the Ruby community. Yeah, apparently. It's that it's that Ruby sickness. Yeah. Um, but And then I started playing with a... We, we need to improve our documentation for our, our APIs, so I started playing with the RSwag gem today, testing that out, where you can bring swag, Swagger documentation outputs into RSpec testing so that it's always up to date. Because one of the big problems you have with manually updating API docs is they quickly get out of date, <laughs> because especially when you're working on large teams. Oh, well, they, we forgot this to add this thing that we just added. And so I'm now, looking to automate all that. I actually find that interesting because in my experience, when I set up a GraphQL, it's self-documenting. And you REST can actually... APIs. Okay, so, all right, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, the GraphQL APIs, we currently, we are only having one endpoint for GraphQL. Um, yeah. Ultimately, we may have a couple for different things, but um, our internal endpoints between our services, our GraphQL, are going to be GraphQL, but our external APIs are still REST for now. So Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I thought you yeah. were talking about... GraphQL as opposed to Rust endpoints. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I've gotten to play with. Nick, how about you? What's cool in your world? Yeah, this last week's been uh, pretty good. I got back to the, um, and I'll just double check. Y'all can hear me okay and, and all that. Okay, cool. Yes. I um, yes. had some pairing today and we were playing a little bit of the hokey pokey with who is it? And it wasn't me. Like I was running... We we're like getting other people on the call like we're fine okay it's you and so okay but i've got that paranoia <laughs> anyway yeah this week you know what how would i highlight this week getting back to the craft you know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. is that like an up like getting back to like the i don't know some people may have been like hacking from when they were 10 and and it was up but like i started as an adult and i remember that feeling like ruby and making things happen Mm -hmm. and like and then you know rails and like very quickly doing the same boring things but it's not about the tools we aren't focused on that it's about what am i making with the tools why why am i back to the craft i mean you know with there, there's the work stuff i get paid for and it's exciting and interesting yeah but this week shopify had i don't know if we say externally but i don't think it's a secret was a hack days week hmm. so on the monday we had our annual thing we call like a lot of companies have this like a summit 
So where mm -hmm. we just kind of year in review hype, um, it is nice at my org. I have actually into it. Like there's been places where I'm like, oh, we got to listen to corporate like blog, whatever it is. But it, that was quite nice to focus on that. But then they bolted three days onto that for a hack days. And I might actually talk what we uh, dug into a little bit later because mm -hmm. it actually touched on open source. Oh, cool. um, but it was just so fun to be with you know, you kind of pitch your idea and either no one joins or some people join. I got a 10 person team out of it. And wow. I only knew like, what, two or three or four of the people. And we just all rallied around this idea I had, I ran it. And literally within an hour or so before the show, we wrapped up our final day. And my brain is fried. I'm glad to be here, though. Uh, hopefully I'll be, you know, have a good mind to talk more <laughs> about code. But like, it was just man, like you can't do this 200 days a year, but three or five days every few months. Oh, it's such a good feeling. Like I learned yeah. so much more in those three days. So energized and like, yeah, now I remember why I say if I won the lottery, I'd still do this in some capacity. Yeah, Building and learning is so fun when it's raw, but you have to force it. Like if you're a decade or more, or even three or five years or more in this industry, it can you can just get used to it. Like, oh, I got to fix the tests. Yeah. We got to integrate with another JavaScript thing. thing I got to put together. And Oh, uh, now we're taking out the JavaScript. <laughs> now we're, now we're, oh, we're, we're changing databases for some reason that I don't agree with, but we got to go do it. Yeah. yeah. None yeah. of this is Shopify stuff. I'm just saying like. Right. Well, this is the common industry stuff that you get burnt on real bad. But I get what you're saying, getting back to the craft. That's one of the reasons I took up the the Dragon Ruby and started doing game programming with Ruby, because I love the language, but I was getting a little burnt on de uh, web app development. It's like, okay, let, let me get Rails out of here and try something yeah. different with Ruby and, you know, have fun with it some more. Um, was Dragon Ruby, didn't you have something just the other day? Because I got a message from a former coworker um stocksy james stocks here in town oh mm -hmm. stocksy i hope you don't mind me saying your name on air by the way <laughs> i didn't ask your permission but saying that uh like oh you're gonna be on i was just watching their dragon ruby stuff so yeah yeah that yeah, sounds I've, cool uh, yeah i started uh, doing a live live coding show with that on tuesdays because i thought it would be fun and i wanted to do something different with ruby and game programming seemed like a fun thing to do with it so yeah yep I got to remind people Ruby is just a general purpose language. You know, mm -hmm. you can do like, there's, there's certain things that we've like back in the day, like I'm into my Ruby archeology, span which isn't really the topic for today, but mm -hmm. reading through the old stuff, there people didn't get paid to write Ruby for a, a while. Yeah, They were writing it like, Hey, all right, we've done our Java for the day. You got right. some of that Ruby. I'm going to write a couple gems tonight. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. It was like the dev crack of <laughs> early 2010s, um, 2009. But yeah, so and this is probably a good segue to what we were talking about, because this is really, I think, kind of, of what we're wanting to get into today. And that is hobby programming. So let's start with kind of define for us what you mean by hobby programming. Yeah, like I'll I'll kick this off what I mean, and then I'll pitch both of you a question okay. as well, because this is something I love asking people, and I might tell you like things I've heard too. So when I say hobby programming, I mean uh, programming that is not during work hours. That is so it's either during work hours secretly, or it's evenings or weekends. It's dubious about whether or not it will or does make money. I think it's not like a hundred percent. Oh, and it can't make money. Um, mm. It generally doesn't, but maybe it will, you know, the stuff that you really want to do, like if I had time, I want to build this or the, th or the things that you sneak into and it's the, but the big question, this is where I'd love to start with mm -hmm. is if you're really into guitar, like a guitar player, you go in, you write your code nine to five or whatever your hours are. You maybe eat, and then you go into your little office, you plug in your amp, maybe your headphones if you live near people or your garage, and you just shred, you do whatever you want to do, and you don't feel bad. But if I work nine to five writing Ruby code, and then I eat my dinner, and then I go into my room and I open my laptop for more Ruby code, 
there's this part of my brain that's really big on work-life balance and not burning out and not overdoing it that like, oh, this is the same activity, just different. And how do I manage like not because there's times where I like went a long time without writing it on my own. And that was actually bad for me. And then there's times where I like, you know, would write it on my own uh, a bit too much, but like, and then the learnings were coming into my work. So I'd feel really guilty. I'm like, Oh, they're getting, they're benefiting financially off my hobbyist. <laughs> so, so how, my question to both of you would be, how do you, not what are you doing, but how do you approach hobbyist coding? And you kind of answered part of it, Chris. Yeah. So I'll let you go, Kristen. So I hate to, well, not that I hate to say it, but I mean, I've never really done hobbyist coding like that, like mm. ever. And I think the reason why is twofold. One, I actually started as a systems administrator, then moved to a database administrator. Then I was kind of like IT management in the management arena and moved on to some line of business functions in terms of management. And then I started a company. So in terms of, I've never been employed as a developer anywhere, <laughs> hmm. but now I do consulting doing it. I, I program on a regular basis, you know, but it's all related to the job. And if I have free time, cause again, I'm still pushing the log up the mountain to make the business better and better. Half my yep. time is consulting. Half my time is a SaaS app. So I don't do programming as a hobby. I do other things not really as a hobby, but like at nighttime, if I'm like, okay, I have a little bit of time. I don't feel like doing if I do feel I like doing technology, I'm actually doing it related to the company. So it's not a hobby thing. Um, so that's, so one, coming from that different background, like not being working for a developer, doing a nine to four, like I've never been a software engineer doing a nine to five job. It's I've gone from doing other things that aren't development into that. But I will say when I was working at a company, I would try out Oracle. I would try, so I would do different things. I wouldn't hack code, but I would use technology and try different things or trying to get Oracle running on Linux or even Postgres while I was still working and just kept trying Linux and kept trying Linux. And was like, what the heck? Why is this happening? Nothing's working, you know, because I was using Windows forever. Yeah. And then it was finally in the sometime in the 90s that it's like, okay, this is now... This will be my main driver. So that has been my technology. And I didn't feel guilty about it, you know, or whatever. It's just, it's just what I do. I'm a techie guy, but I'm not as much of a hobby programmer guy. So that was a long explanation, but that kind of shows you why I kind of, I don't do the hobby programming because that's kind of like not where I came from. Yeah, and I, I didn't do it for a very long time. And something I, I just realized earlier this year with the hobby programming, is I was trying to get into hobby programming, and I started my coding with Chris early on doing a a web app that I wanted to do, right? Not, not the kind of web app I'm doing at work, but a different kind of web app that I was interested in. And I quickly discovered that that just felt like work because it's still a web app. Just because it's got yeah. a different theme, right? So what I discovered was I can I, I can still love to do Ruby, but I need to do something different with Ruby. So I looked at the game programming stuff, and that feels like a whole different thing. Even though I'm coding in Ruby, right? It's it's a completely different thing. So I don't I don't feel the same burnout coming from work to that. So it it, it feels like a hobby then. Yeah, I think that's a really good couple of points there. And that kind of, thank you for like letting me, the guest, throw questions at you. I think this is probably like a free form thing. I'll yeah. have more questions, but oh, yeah. I, that's really representative of like my hypothesis on this, which is um, people are different and they have differing interests. So like you might, your brain might, well, actually, you know, I'll steal this. So initially I was feeling, I was feeling it 
and wondering about this. So I, I may not have said I work for a mom and pop e-commerce company called Shopify. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The that's little the, <laughs> the little the little startup. It's a scrappy startup, Canadian yeah, startup. Right. But like I'm on the I'm on the Ruby since May, I've been on the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team. So I have some people who I work close to or, or near me, like an Aaron Patterson or, you know, um, we've got Raphael, Jean, some, some of these core team members that like when they're not at, on the clock, I just see so much that I could never like just attain, like so many things they maintain and like dig so deep into like not even one of them do I feel I could dig deep enough to have an impact. And I'm just like, how how are they doing? Kevin Newton as well on my team. I'm just name dropping them because they do public things. I'm not yeah. name dropping people privately. They have a public presence where they say what they're doing. Sure. So, you know, like, oh, here's here's a syntax tree. And 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 by the way, I whipped this thing up on the weekend and they're so accomplished. But me, I'm like, I love this stuff, but I really, really want to. Like I'm the person at 5 p.m. Slack's off. I don't have notifications or anything on my phone. I've only put Slack on my phone because I quite like this new thing where at like 8.40 in the morning or, you know, when I'm going to make a coffee before I sit down, I look at Slack. So it's kind of like I don't have the fear. I'm like, okay, I know what's happening, but there's nothing I can do about it for at least 10 minutes. Yeah. And then it can, and then my brain kind of sorts it and thinks about it a little longer than if I because it used to be really intimidating sitting at my desk because I live in Europe. So there'd mm -hmm. be so a bit more to catch up on. Right. So anyway, so I'm very protective of my time. I take my holidays religiously and I tell other people too, especially if you have a flexible lead. I'm like, you know, if you're, if, if like, we're not running a business, we're working for a business and we need to take the time. So how do I balance this with this Ruby thing? And mm -hmm. I asked, um, the head of Ruby and Rails Infra is an engineer called Mike or manager called Mike D'Alessio. And I'd said this exact same thing to him. He said, you know, it's a tricky question. And for me, one of my hobbies is coding. So I try to remember. So I, I look at it as that I, my hobby is to code. It also happens to be my job, but like, like what I want to do, like, what do you do after dinner when you plop on the sofa do you want to play guitar do you want to whittle do you want to watch tv and play a video game and and you know like have a cup of tea do you read a book like any of those things are valid however you use your time or you know like wrangle the kids like i don't have any kids but, you take know a like nap. <laughs> take a nap go to bed <laughs> mow the lawn touch grass go hiking but like but so it's so it's kind of like that's why i really appreciate your answer creston and then yours chris because the answer is Net, all the time to not at all the whole spectrum is valid it's what's for you and that's what i want to kind of mm -hmm. bring for if anyone's listening if you if so don't feel like we're saying you should do more than you're doing right um it's just, so that's the but the first question is like how do you view it and i, I like really setting it aside is it is my hobby so i do particular yep. things to make it feel like my hobby i do it maybe on the sofa with the tv mm -hmm. on i maybe don't do it too long uh, I maybe do really crazy stuff that is untested and could never make money. Um, and, you know, I don't know if people like to have an adult beverage. You, you, if you put one of those in your hand, it might feel quite. Um, Hobby-ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, uh, the late uh, Chris Seaton, who is on my team, he always, mm -hmm. the story is he'd have a glass of champagne next to his machine after he'd go out doing training with the army. So I was like, ah, oh, yeah, glass of champagne by the machine. Okay, then I definitely know this is not work time, right? Like right. It's very, very fancy coding. Yeah, I mean, so, having a beer in your hand and coding is more relaxing than listen to all the twi the the uh, Slack chatter going back and forth. And oh god, I have to go over here and over here and over here and over here. You know, I and can it, just sit and, it, and code. And if it, and if you're having a couple, it kind of could set its own hard limit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the? Isn't there the diagram? Like maybe XKCD of like in theory BAC with like like output. And I don't, I know not everybody um, drinks or anything, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah, like sure. that is a hard limit. So it's right, just like yeah. you're you're not going to be writing much use, and it's not going to be going in. So you're going to have to kind of just go and enjoy your life. But yeah, so uh, even though we'll talk, I'll be talking a bit about hobbying today with you. Anyone listening, you definitely yeah. Like and and I think there is a thing like. When we're on the job, whether it's for a business that we have or an employer, it, it does come in anyway. 
mm -hmm. you say, explore that API, explore that integration, or, you know, the more senior you get, you're trusted to go do that yourself. Yep. And it secretly might be fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this new gem I'm exploring. I, I haven't ever played with tested documentation stuff. So it's something that I was looking forward to. You know, this, this was something I was looking forward to all week. I get to go do this, you know, so that was kind of hobby programming at work for me, but it's for work, right? Um, you're, so you're saying about Swagger, right? Like, I'd be interested to hear more. So Swagger is, is it a Ruby-related tool or is it a generic tool to generate documentation off REST APIs? Well, it's a generic kind of hosting type thing. Um, so it it uses now... It uses the what is it called? Open API 3.0, the documentation spec for for APIs, um, and it kind of turns it into pretty, right? And so you can go in and it it uh, I can't remember if Stripe uses Swagger or if they just are very much like Swagger, but it it does that type of documentation where you can actually go in and run the docs, you know, run run the commands, mm. run the APIs, see what they do, how to pass stuff. Uh, and it's got good uh, documentation. So I'm using a, a um, gem called RSwag that, mm -hmm. you know, generates RSpec tests for this documentation for your endpoints. And what it's supposed to do is now I can just, you know, tell it there's a rake task to gen the, the JSON for it. But it's also in part of your RSpec test suite so that you make sure your, te your docs don't ever get out of sync with your actual code. And it can help keep things in line because that's a perpetual problem, it, especially with large teams. Um, you know, documentation, your, your external documentation staying in sync with how fast your code is moving is really hard to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard job. Like I even think, you know, I've had to maintain where you go to the markdown file, like really bare bones and update the of uh, this is what the, pat, the end point looks like. Here's what you're putting in. Here's what you're getting out. Mm -hmm. And every time you touch that code, like you need to have the little tick needs doc changes. And what if you mess it up? So I think, and it's something that really suits code gen. And in fact, I'll drop something here that might nerd snipe you. Um, RubyConf Houston just released their talks in the last day or two. And one of the talks, so as there was from Chris Avia, or sorry, is it CJ Avia? Sorry, CJ Avia from uh, Stripe talking about documentation code gen and he does a lot of screenshots of internal stripe code and and i was like oh that's cool did, so did you have to run that by he's like no nah, i just ran with it i'm like oh cool this is like <laughs> a real sneak peek into stripe because it's, it's gen code gen right um i don't know if you know what he did is like oh i'll definitely do that but it's really fun to see him talk through the concepts because i think they have a lot right I haven't yeah. actually messed with Stripe in years, but I think there's a lot for them to document in their business. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, they because they got a lot of back-end stuff going on there, too. And they're very heavily API-driven as a company. So, you know, that's that's kind of their bread and butter is the API to the payment processing stuff. So. Yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, so I have a lot of fun with... Um, programming now but like you were saying i have a lot of hobbies so i don't yeah i don't just do programming as a hobby in fact i only recently started doing programming as a hobby and i think it's really important to it's something you need to pay attention to is the potential for burnout if you're programming all day at a job and then you program it as a hobby you want to be careful that you you kind of don't end up making yourself feel like you're working for 16 hours a day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think it's a, the, one of the interesting parts of adult life, like post, if you went to university, like post university adult life is two things. One finding interests and activities and hobbies that aren't work. And two is friendship. So like some mm -hmm. of these things just get thrown at you in your youth and early adulthood. But now it's like, I'm in my thirties. And it's, I'm not just going to walk out into a coffee shop and find somebody like, will you be my friend? You know, like it's a right. bit more involved than that. So that's a different talk. But the, the hobby one is really interesting because we have more and more limited time. And if anyone's ever interested in sourcing 
this is all say for the non-code a new if you really just want to fill your time with a completely new thing a new non-code hobby there's a lot of things people drift to which are fine like i played guitar since i was a teenager and mm -hmm. some people do homebrew or like maybe whittling if they're extravagant or lock picking i did a bit of that but there's a lot of people who drift to like a few things and a lot of people drift to them but there's a lot that are actually needing uh like human resource so i don't know if there's something like this in the states but in the uk there's an actual charity that tracks um professions or skills and ranks them by extinct or endangered or threatened like you would animals hundreds of things i'm wow. talking like dev 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 devon stave basket making like mm, things yeah. that that like 300 500 years ago were like required but now the knowledge goes away so like think yeah. about how we know how to do ruby well uh parchment making lots mm. of people would have uh, had a business now there's one maybe two left in the uk but it's an ancient vellum and parchment making and they're right. they're only alive because i think all laws are still meant to be printed on parchment i think a lot of weddings use parchment for something i think some furniture uses it but like there's dozens or hundreds of them and the, the list like ones where like there's a population that's known as like eight hobbyists mm -hmm. you know and then or like two professionals eight hobbyists and if it, you could find, if you're in the UK, look this up, I will, if there's uh, somewhere I can like put a reference later, I don't remember the name of this charity, but I was reading about it in The Economist. But I love this idea of like taking out the, like what what what's cool to try and do to not make money. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like when people pick university degrees when they're 18, there's about 30 things people are interested in, but there's about 3000 things they could go into similar with hobbies there's the, there's yeah. areas where you could be really good at um compass like traditional compass making mm -hmm. and 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 go out and be a part of a really small community doing something that is uh, needing help to stay alive right right so anyway so, <laughs> there you go yeah so colin says i read old ruby books most of the time after hours and maybe play in irb with things i'm reading from those old books as one of my hobby approaches, I try to be mindful of how much time I'm spending staring at a screen after work hours. Yeah, so that's one of those that's one of those work but not work hobby type things. I'm learning some cool stuff. I'm I'm getting into some history. Um I know you you like, you know, the 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 old ruby stuff. Uh so um I'm guessing that's kind of one of your hobbies too, that area of thing. Yeah, and by the way, I've talked to Colin about this. He has a great uh, Ruby book collection. He gets the secondhand ones. I think, you know, Matt's probably has the biggest one because he's very big about getting every book he can. And Japan has a lot of Ruby books. Mm -hmm. But um, Colin is probably number two in people. I know that like if there's a book that has a hard copy floating around, he's got it. And some are quite good and hard to get. Like Metaprogramming Ruby second edition is like 10 years old and it costs more now used than it did new. Right. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great one. And yeah, like you said, digging through, uh, I mean, I've done talks about it. It's really unhealthy, like <laughs> digging through old code. But the, there's something interesting about the old code where Ruby's not changed that much. So it is possible to find interesting code that is useful to us now. Yeah. So, you know, at the I very found, least, like, interesting a, thought approaches. Yes. Oh, yes, we we're very idiomatic. Now, we have linters that push us into a specific corner, which is fine. Mm -hmm. So we can read each other's code. However, people get ideas about ways to write this language that's meant to be expressive and diverse. And they, you know, you need to go to, I don't know, if you if you went to um, Newcastle, England from Miami, there'd be a very different way to talk uh, using the same language, right? Different yeah. dialects. Um, well, and I think that's something we can explore. And and I think that's something important too. If you're gonna do hobby programming, one of the things that I think would would be very beneficial is to do something in an environment that you don't do at work, because it'll help you learn different ways of thinking about code. I mean, that was one of my primary reasons for going to the game coding in Ruby, because it's a very different way of thinking about code than web apps. Mm. Same language but very different thinking mechanisms going on in those things. 
or you know go learn rust it's it's different types of coding learn c sharp or something you know just just to get different ways of thinking yeah absolutely i think that's a really good tip and and like and and i'd actually like to share a couple explicit tips for people sure. who would like to get more into this um the first one is if you're like i don't know i don't know what really to uh build um oh by the way maybe we give drew a shout out before hey, i go on my ring right here hey, how you doing man i love how buying old programming books can sometimes yield extra special gems like the previous owner's notes or bookmarks with neat things yeah that's true oh yeah absolutely Insights that's totally true people think yeah i love a book that's beat up and scribbled on and, and got tears in it and everything yeah absolutely um yeah, so so the first one I would say is if you're like not sure where to get started, I think a really easy win that's incredibly satisfying is something I'd call um, hooking up the pipes. So I don't know if you're able to pull a desktop on while we're talking or if it's a pain in the butt. Nope, I can um, do it. Sweet. Um, I'm just like literally like dictating. But there's something called, it's actually been deprecated in the last three months, but it's been around for 16 years, maybe longer, called the Programmable Web. It might be programmableweb.com. You might have to search for it. It's a blue and white page. Let's see what we can find here. I first heard this. There's a RubyConf talk from Dan Yoder in 2008 talking about how this website, Programmable Web, had like 800 or 1,000 APIs listed on it. And this was in 2008. It's a directory of... Oh, one? wow. So that maybe they're really... Maybe they're really um, this might be an announcement about it. I don't know if the site's been pulled down. Uh, it's been around for oh, um, ah, so there we go. Maybe this. Nope, that's still oh, it's, the same it, one. It's yeah, okay I if we it's... aren't able to find it, or if it's, or if you have to go to archive. But it was a really good directory, and may, I don't know if they have a factor figure on the screen here. But it's a really good directory for what APIs exist in the universe. You might know of some, like. Um, uh, Twilio, like sending a yep. text message. I bet there's one for sending a letter, probably, I'm sure. Um, uh, weather Underground or uh, Weather, you know, Weather APIs for, for getting um, and, and searching the weather. News mm -hmm. APIs for getting the news. And what I just say is like, look at these. And then even if it's like just a, a silly exercise, think of two or three that you could put together in a cool way for yourself or even to render for yourself. So an example of, um, you know, one that I'd had is I was interested in doing an experiment. Um, I had someone close to me. Well, I, I did a talk, so I'll say my wife was um, having um, some serious uh, hip issues and hip pain, had to have her hip replaced quite young. Hmm. But in the months that we are waiting, the surgeon said, you know, it's not just uh, it's not just speculation, but like weather changes do affect joint pain. And I think a lot of people I know say that. But we were like, there's nothing we can do. Let's test it. So I integrated with Twilio, sent her a text randomly five times a day to rate her pain, hooked into the Weather Underground API, found her location, and took in the barometric pressure reading for months. And we ended up actually finding an interesting correlation for the really bad days. Um, just the idea was, like, could you forecast for people who weren't ever going to get better, Um if Sunday was going to be terrible, so maybe the barbecue is not a good idea, or if Saturday is like 80% likely to be okay, so you can go to the coffee shop with your friends. Right. Um, but that's just a few things that I hooked together for fun, like three APIs. Yeah. If you can do something like that, even just to render things, it's quite fun, right? Like it's kind of an addicting idea. Yeah. Or find something in, in your house or your life that you say, boy, it would be cool if I could automate that and figure out how to automate it. Yes, I think. I guarantee Sorry, there's an API for to automate whatever it is you're thinking about automating somewhere. Yeah, and that's it. And I always, um, I don't know if you know Jason Sweat. Um, uh -huh. He's done code with Jason. So there was... Um, he and I had this like great debate because I had it in my head that if I could like learn one domain, because like a lot of what Rails solves like are not, they're like micro data, micro users, high, high impact code and features. So I was like, if I could just learn a domain that needs this automation or assistance, 
that's how I could like make a good side hustle or side money. So like if I just went here in Northern Ireland and got to know the agriculture community really well and see that they were having to like price fertilizer from five markets and it was really annoying. Could I have a scraper that saves them thousands of dollars, pounds a month mm -hmm. on fer bulk fertilizer purchases? But I have to learn the domain like because these people don't have code. They don't have the code superpower. So if we can go out in the world and learn their needs and their problems. My first job was like that. It was like we were serving national governments. So it's like 130 customers, one particular department with a particular set of needs. And it was too small for IBM to care about or Microsoft or whoever. Yeah. And we were able to make things really good. Right. And I think so you could do that for yourself. Is it basically a good one? You right. can automate. Yeah. Well, and now with, you know, all the stuff that you've got to, you know, like smart plugs and all that kind of thing, you can do a lot of really cool stuff. In fact, it's something I'm looking at playing with for my streaming because there's a lot of things now where you can let the audience start taking control of some of your camera and things like that. Got to be a little careful with that, but, you know, it's <laughs> it's fun stuff to play with, you know, just because it's, hey, I wonder if I can do that. I'll go do it. And that's hobby, hobby programming. Now, I'm not going to make any money off of it, most likely, you know, but it's it's just a fun, different way of thinking. Uh, Sudo, what's up? Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Drew says, if there isn't an API, then you've got a possible business idea. That's that's a fact, my friend. APIs are huge money now. You can figure out how to do one that isn't done. Yeah, it's totally true. So if if you can, I mean, early days, I was even just scraping things all the time that didn't have APIs. And there's literally, if I put my business hat on for all, any of those things, there's something you could have made um, available to others. And so my second tip, um, and then I might go into some of the past things I really have done, and maybe some of the things I am doing, if that's mm -hmm. of interest to you folks. Okay, because sure. then we can geek out on those. Yeah. Um, the um, the second tip is, like you say, not just automation, but doing things for yourself, like building something that you'd want to use. Maybe um, a certain app that you pay $8 a month for has only about a third of the features of you, that you want. So why don't you build the third of the features for yourself? And it can be ugly if you're a programmer like me. It can be ugly and very useful. Or just yeah. copy-paste Bootstrap into it. Right. You know, <laughs> Just the CDN. Don't even install it properly. Yeah. Like, and just be mad and just, yeah, deploy it. So that's the yeah. other tip is I, I use things every day that I build for myself. So, Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Studio wants to know what our backgrounds are. Well, I'm a longtime small business uh, web dev and desktop dev for 26, seven years, however many. I'm um, a, oh, sorry, I thought you're. No, go. Yeah, I was going to say what Colin basically said. I was like, well, it's my office, but the paint's called Scrumptious. And that was going to be my background. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that is the name of the paint. We talked about that before the show. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a Rubyist. Uh, I've been, I, I wrote my, I guess you could say when I, I, uh, didn't have a CS degree. I laid my first line of Ruby in March, 2014. So I think my Rubiversary is coming up soon, 10 years next year. Um, I worked, uh, for four years at a company called Oceans HQ here in the UK, dealing with international shipping bureaus and uh worked a few other places some contracting which was nice um worked at chef software and now i work at shopify and at, on the ruby a, and rails infrastructure chain preston's a professional ballroom dancer so you know we have him in here for the color commentary and that's <laughs> i've got so many eight balls i'm juggling it's i have an identity crisis so i i i do consulting and contracting with regard to Ruby and Rails programming, Ruby programming, Ansible, DevOps. I do Postgres. I have a show called Scaling Postgres every week that curates content, and I do consulting for Postgres, and then I'm running my own software as a service web application. So I'm doing all sorts of stuff. So there you go. That's us in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so hobby programming. So more tips. Yeah, so so essentially, 
just really quickly um it's nice to meet you as well thank yeah. you for being here i really yes. like actually seeing everyone and having the commentary normally it's like uh it's sometimes there's i can see people but it's just the audio or a lot of times i don't see anyone so it is quite nice being here with you yes um so very quickly because i'd love to nerd out about some of the current stuff and i yeah, see yeah, that like sure. i'm chatting too much um in the past i was obsessed with bots so like integrating with Telegram, having users being able to use Telegram, SMS was big. I built a lot of things that I like to use with an SMS interface because back when 4G was worse, I loved the idea that you could just text something and it would be resilient in more places to work. So I created like an environmental disaster service where like you could get news and weather and searchable news via SMS. So like if, if the 4G, if the 4G would go down much before SMS has a lot of properties that it can actually hold up a little longer and not and not blow up under the load. And if it can't get to a place, it can wait and then eventually get there. And then your server that may hopefully it wasn't blown up can uh, get you the information. So as bots, bots, bots. Um, and then I built a budget app for myself uh, six years ago, use that every month and recently migrated it, which I'll talk to you about in a second. But it's fun. Like, oh, I have to go upgrade, upgrade Ruby from 2.4 to 3.2. Let's go. Oh, um, in the I built that myself, right oh, yeah, a, le a learning app, which is really silly, but it's just a place for me to upload and dump everything, whether it's a link, a URL, a PDF, whatever I buy for myself, because I never know if it's on Gumroad, some EPUB thing, LeanPub, uh, a PDF, you know, all the digital artifact or, or a subscription to a web page, right? So I put all of these things on one dashboard for myself, but even if I have to upload a, a, a file. So these are things that give me great joy to use. And it's uh, like just a nice thing to dust off. And one, write the terrible code that you don't get to write at work. And two, suffer for the terrible code later and realize that it's good to write good code. So um, those are the kind of things I've geeked out on before I like go into like trying to nerd snipe you all on my current obsessions. <laughs> is there is there anything like say, Chris, that you like is I know Dragon Ruby recently um, mm -hmm. Uh, was there ever anything that really tickled your fancy in, in years past? Or it's okay if the answer is no. Well, actually, what because I, I was programming in Turbo Pascal, desktop programming in Turbo Pascal, when I learned about Ruby, somebody introduced me to Ruby. And so that was the thing that really kind of, you know, got me lit about programming again, was just going to these Ruby meetups and saying, whoa, holy crap, this is a language that, you know, and they, he was showing me rails and stuff. And I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. You know, that was a, that was a huge thing. Um, but now, nowadays, yeah, it's just finding different ways to program different, different paradigms to program in, you know? Yeah. Cool. I would say in terms of, again, it's, everything's kind of related to my business and it's just finding ways to automate, but it's, not customer facing and there would be no customer impact like an example um like for doing consulting sometimes i have to log into individual database machines and grep some logs or whatever well i took some time aside you know this is my own time and said can i do this differently so that i can one run one command easily so it's basically again it wasn't program necessary but it was really understanding bash on how to put together what I did to save me minutes every week doing this particular activity. Or it's me saying, eh, I don't want to pay the money for uh, this headless CMS service. I think I got what I need here and hacking on it to come up with something that, hey, I get a headless CMS and I don't have to pay 100, 150 bucks a month for the service to run the websites. So again, it's not customer facing if the headless CMS goes down, because I use a static site generator. If the CMS goes down, the websites still run because it's it just generates the static sites. So those are some things I've hacked on that aren't customer facing, but save me time, save me money, et cetera. Well, we've got an example from chat too. So Sudo said one of his friends hacked together this uh, plain text sports site. Whoa. Using a, is so, which I think is great. I mean, if you've got a passion for sports and you like programming, you know, mash those two things up and do something cool with that. 
and it doesn't have to be extraordinarily complicated, you know, but this is really neat that, you know, you can go in here and pull all this stuff together. Um, I'm assuming he's probably using APIs in the background and, mm. and just hacked it together and, and did cool things. That's so cool. That reminds me of a friend of mine who'd never written Ruby, never used GitHub. And on one like day on a Memorial Day weekend, I taught him, you know, set him up on GitHub, pushing it. So I went two birds with one stone, like sending your code up and writing it. Mm -hmm. And we would uh, scrape the sports scores on uh, BBC Sports for the soccer football here. And we just sat around and had a couple of drinks and it would iterate and on an in infinite loop. And whenever one of the values changed, it would go goal and then it would read out the score and we just sit and listen to it all day <laughs> because there's because there's normally like 30 40 football matches going on at once right so you can yeah. just just literally oh wow oh they came back wow they were really losing ah cool yeah, yeah i think that's awesome thanks for sharing that pseudo yeah thanks you um, know yeah. hearing this you know i we may get into this at some point but i'm just reminded um if you are in school or you're learning programming, I think this is a huge benefit of doing hobby programming because you need to showcase something that you can build all your own, like something like this example here. If you're looking for a job, being able to show what you've built in your hobby off time when you're not doing schoolwork or whatever, I think that's super important for you know getting jobs and whatnot. But I don't I will know tell you it's nowadays that having been in the position of hiring devs, I'd be more interested in seeing that than in seeing that you graduated with straight A's from this university, right? I want to see what you did, not, not, not what you read. Yeah. I've not, I've not hired anyone, but I could see like, it's just like, what are they making? Can we interact? Like how, how are they obviously personality, but like, you know, it also shows that there's an interest in like, hey, yeah. I want to make things, not just mm -hmm. I don't want to program. That's a side effect. I want to make something right. like you're 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 reminding me of all these things. I forgot there was a, in my old university, there was a, a, a static HTML page, which would list how many seats were open in each computer lab in the whole campus, like a 33,000 student uni. So there's like maybe a dozen places where there's computer labs of varying sizes. So, again, I scraped it and created a heat map. So you could guess on what day of the week and what hour of the day and what room would you actually get it, have a good chance of getting a computer and it just <laughs> auto updated all the time. But like, if I saw that from someone now, even if it was like, however his format, I'm like, ah, they are like trying to solve a problem. They are yep. creative. They're enjoying it, you know, as opposed to, I don't know what you, you know, what else you'd see, but it's, it's, I see this in others, like talking to you all, like, unfortunately, not everyone's the same with yeah. like there there's there's the dark side of tech unfortunately yeah for sure yeah um yeah as sudo said he was a hobby programmer no search no degree and now employed yeah and and Woo. i think that's um very indicative of the way um like companies are trying to hire programmers now at least in my experience especially with small business i mean i work in a very large company now with shift 4 but you know most of my career in small business, you have to be very careful about who you hire because you, and you have to fail fast with them because it's a hiring a developer is a significant portion of the budget. And so you want to be able to see that, yes, this person is a problem solver. They like doing this, they stick with it, you know, they bulldog a problem and figure out how to get it done and they're able to produce something. Um, so I think hobby programming is important for, like you say, job looking. It's a big deal. And if you're at a big organization, again, I don't know because I've never worked. Well, I've worked at big organizations, but not as a software developer. How easy is it to hide or how easy is it to, hey, just go to the cubicle next door to get assistance? Whereas if you're on your own, when you demonstrated that you've built something on your own, I think there's significant weight to that. Again, particularly if you're small business hiring, because you need to know that that person you bring in is gonna either knows how to do it or figures out how to do it. 
uh, company I work for hires because of personality, not as much for skills. Obviously, if it's senior, then it matters. They say you can teach someone to code. You can, but you can't. Yeah, I'm not looking for the code or the syntax. What I'm looking for is the desire to solve problems. Yeah, yeah. I think um, and I'm very interested in, well, I'm a second career engineer. I think mm -hmm. that's an interesting, I just, I'm just wrapping up the book range. I don't know if you've heard of it by uh, something Epstein, um, but it talks about a lot of the science behind what we believe about learning and domain like sharing knowledge across domains in, in our own applied use and like a lot of myths around specialization. So mm -hmm. like, you know, there are things that uh, really benefit. Um, chess is very good at the patterns are the same and golf. Similarly, even though it's a bit, a lot more variables, the yeah. ball is the ball, the club's the club, but there's a wicked world with certain like creative aspects where, can you be thrown in something that's vastly different than anything you've seen before or ever encountered and handle it? And there's certain things that lend to that. So having a diversity of experience. So for example, like um, in the scientific community, you know, if you look at the ones who are actually the top 1%, as far as like getting the awards and, you know, laureates and things like that, they generally tend to have an interesting spotty background like yeah. maybe oh yeah I was, i'm also in an orchestra not like not like a polymath just like oh i worked uh well me i worked at a pizza factory i worked at a sawmill i worked at a cash register uh you know i lived in very different places and my wife's actually just got hired on to become a second career coder she spent 10 years in the nhs she's a manager speech and language therapist for children and i just like you are going to do great because she's doing a master's conversion course so i'm like the code is there but the human somebody you know i, I probably can't say age but in their 30s who's had a successful <laughs> career but like knows how to deal with other humans all that stuff is like tidied up and can show through this like hard year that yeah. they have what it takes and then if you can onboard graduates in your organization these you you if you start at like 32 coding you're not going to be like 17 years behind the 15 year old when you're 40 you're the person who started when they're 15 yeah. so very very interesting space i have a very stupid um live stream related question sure. that i didn't ask before do we have a hard stop on the top oh wait did i just did i just bottom out wait can you hear me okay yep, yep. Yeah, you're, right. you're fine did we have a hard do we have a hard stop on the top of the hour because that will regulate what i bring up uh no if it's yes that's fine no we don't have a hard stop we try to keep it around an hour okay cool 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 um because i'd love to bring up two things i'm hobbying on right now to nerd snipe you and <laughs> yeah cool I'm not trying to run over your show, though, is the no, thing I'm trying to be polite. Cool. No, we just like having uh, chats, man. Okay, cool. So, and just holler at me if I break up at all, because I live in a 80, 90-year-old house, so that the stone, sometimes I get nervous, uh, <laughs> especially when I'm live with a bunch of lovely people watching. Uh, um, so the first one that I've been hobbying on a bit, quite a bit lately, I've really enjoyed is Truffle Ruby. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've played around with it. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with the with Chris Seaton, who I mentioned earlier. It's okay if you've not heard of Chris. I've heard of Chris, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, it's kind of a sad introduction here. He's a teammate of mine, recently passed away. Mm -hmm. And he was he created Truffle Ruby, and that was kind of the impetus for me. And I was like, you know what? Um, what can I do as somebody who's not as brilliant as Dr. Seaton was uh, in the world, I'm like, well, why don't I just use Truffle Ruby? I'm like a hype man on Twitter about stuff I think is cool. Truffle Ruby is meant to be for the masses. And yes, it's it focuses on performance as an implementation and being the fastest thing it can and the most performant thing. But why don't I just have fun and show people it's not terrifying? So, you know, luckily, when a, someone I work with does work on Truffle Ruby and demystified it. So I'm cherubing and, you know, like getting it on my machine, running everything I have with it. And it's, and I'm like, oh, it's talking to Brittany Martin. It's like, you'll have to show me how I'm like, it's just, it's like another install. It's like, it's totally fine. But what I'm really enjoying hobbying on is learning and trying to discover where it really excels because I don't know much about the back end. 
So I'm building a, I, I changed everything. This is the hobby. Mm -hmm. I, instead of doing Heroku, I'm now doing Hatchbox. Instead yeah. of doing Rails, I'm now doing Rhoda. Instead of doing um, Ruby, I'm doing Truffle Ruby. Instead of doing uh, an ORM, I'm doing SQL from Jeremy Evans. So it's so fun to take every level of what I normally work with and completely change it from framework to language implementation. Yeah. And I'm just writing a bunch of endpoints and benchmarking them and trying to see if I can find the sweet spot for like a JSON read-only API. And if it, there's a certain shape that is really, really good in Trail for Ruby compared to Ruby 3.2. So that's something I enjoy kind of changing things out and geeking out on. So um, yeah. I'd, I'd, and, and I'll, I'll hesitate on jumping to the other one, but I don't know if you've played with any of those tools uh, before. I haven't, no, I haven't played with, well, I haven't played with Truffle Ruby for sure. But, you know, something just came to mind as you were kind of going through this and talking about this and something I've, I've been kind of thinking in the back of my head. When we're talking about hobby programming, I wonder if it would be helpful for more people to, to start live streaming their hobby programming sessions so that other people can see, oh, this is a cool thing. Maybe I'll go hobby program on that for a while. Or this is how, or, you know, hobby programming together. You get a chat full of people, you know, having yeah. fun together. I wonder if that's a thing I ought to start thinking about. Or, uh, yeah, like what, like bring someone in while they're hobbying and, and look at what they're looking at. It's like, what's, what's, what's good, but not making you money. What's, yeah. what's, what's really driving you nuts. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you were to bring me in, then I'd pr probably talk about, and this is what I hacked on this week. I know for time, but I'll at least share. Um, sure. It's not, I'm not really announcing it to the world, but I've done it and it's not a secret. So <laughs> are you familiar with uh, shoes from Why the yes. Lucky Stiff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the audience, uh, and you said about doing desktop programming, which mm -hmm. I didn't have an experience with. So shoes was Wise DSL back in 2007. It came out to write desktop applications in Ruby back then and be able to send it to like your grandma on a Windows machine and it would run. Mm -hmm. So it's like a way to use the beauty of Ruby combined with the beauty of wise taste with DSLs, which is very good. If you use H, if you use Nokogiri, that is wise DSL from HBricot ported over to Nokogiri, right? Like, yep. um, so. God, he was a smart guy. Yeah, before yeah, before, and I'm really seeing it this week because before I was writing Rails apps, I was writing shoes apps back in 2014. Unfortunately, like having something that can package to Windows and Linux and Mac, and maintaining it and all the features that it does for writing a full desktop app, it you know shoes four was attempted. It hasn't received a commit in about six years. Shoes three had half a commit about five years ago. It's not really mm -hmm. something you can do anymore. It doesn't run. So I nerd sniped a lot of people, and we currently have. Uh, an implementation that we are working on called Scarpe, which is Italian for shoes. Uh, <laughs> I, I nerd sniped, it's on web view. So like think of the tooling has changed for like how you make a desktop app. Like think about like HTML, Electron. But what we're using now, I didn't, I nerd sniped someone into making the shell, like the gem that would support it. But uh, Marco Rudeloso, who's, who's from the UK as well. And we finally got 10 people together uh, really nerd sniped them. And we have just, we've gone through about 57 PRs. We got about 20 desktop apps working, even though it's called Scarpe, we have it except shoes, complete DSL. We have hundreds of examples that we brought in that we're testing against. So if you go to, um, we have a discord literally now, Scarpe cool. DM sees the shoes. So, uh, S C A R P E hyphen D I E M. And you can join and see what we're getting up to. Schwad slash Scarpe. We have a logo that we've done through Open Dolly already. Like we're going mad. We have tests. We're like really doing this. We want every, it's not, it's early implementation stages. But what we want is like you to start seeing at conferences by the end of the year talking about like not worrying about the back end tech, people to be able to easily write desktop applications. So you're talking about Dragon Ruby. This is like bailing yep. on web as well. So yeah. What can you write for yourself is, is on the desktop? And then the packaging will be later in the year, hopefully. We haven't looked at that yet. You do still run rubymyapp.rb, but the packaging, so you can send it to your 
dad with a Windows only machine or your cousin on a Mac and none of them have Ruby, but they can run your app. That's what right. we want. And it's a beautiful way. We don't have to change a thing. Like the rule is don't change wise DSL. Now he doesn't mm-hmm. have like a pickaxe book level spec. So we have like a hundred sources of knowledge we're combining, <laughs> but his manual is called nobody knows shoes. And it's as beautiful as the poignant guide. It was really artistic. And anyway, you can see me getting hyped about it. This yeah, is what I've yeah. been doing for the last four days. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll, keep we'll your eyes to, out for it. I'd we'll have to have some sidebars on this because I'm I, I'm now interested because Dragon Ruby, it runs on MRuby, so it's embedded Ruby, so it's compiled everywhere, right? Yeah. But one of the things it needs when you're developing games is GUIs. Uh, so I I'm wondering how that might work. Now it's against MRuby, which is a little bit different than the C Ruby, but huh, I'd be interested to have a have a little sidebar with you on that at some point. Yeah, and I'll just say for um, uh, is it Christian who just asked there? Yep. If you just if you if you go to search on Discord and go Scarpe, so S C A R P E, it's Italian for shoes. Um, Scarpe DM hyphen DM is our Discord, but the URL is my last name. I'm sorry, Schwad like my GitHub handle slash Scarpe right now. We're probably, I'll talk with the original uh, owner if we want to go to GitHub Scarpe Scarpe and make it a proper organization or not. It's not literally, we've just been working on it for three days. It's early implementation. Um, yeah, so I'm a fork of that. So Schwad. Uh, thank you, Christian. Um, but yeah, sorry for getting too excited. I think no, no the thing that's... is, it's like excited. trying to explain the web to someone in 1997 and saying you might be able to send someone a picture or a song. It's like, I don't know what doesn't exist. Like, for example, I used, I put something in where I could write Ruby in the app real time and have it come to a real time AST on the other side for me to look at, mm-hmm. you know, like, because what can you do on the command line? Well, why don't you, you can just put that in your GUI. What are the 10 commands that you run all the time on your command line? You always forget and have to look up what, can they be buttons? And then you can return their value to your app. Um, Can you, or can you, or the big hack is like, you know, when you go online and no one who knows anything about command line hacking, it's like, I need to rename all my files on my machine (laughs) to remove like the first four letters of 300 files, but I don't know how to program. We could, you can make, 20 of these things where you're like, well, it's like a one-liner in bash right. for a system call, right? And then you can just make that an app and you can package it up and share it with people. It's it's like, I, I could, I Discord, Discord, you say about APIs, Discord has an API. Like I was saying today, mm-hmm. I could literally go on Discord on my app and just have it point to the general channel and just type and send messages back and forth and receive them. Um, yep. You don't have all the crap about since it's a constant loop, like you're not doing the like adding and removing is live in real time. So if you're saying on change in this text box, change this thing on the right hand side on the grid. Well, it just will as you're typing like you're not having to think of the web anymore. It's a different world, which, Chris, I imagine you have a lot of experience. The thing we kept talking about is we're forcing we have to work with HTML flavor and we hide it. (laughs) But we're trying right. to think in desktop flavor, which is its own way of looking at the world. It's like it's not mm-hmm. components, it's widgets, right? Right. Yep. So yeah. Anyway, sure. if anyone's interested, there you go. Yeah. Well, it, that's oh my gosh. I could I could probably sit here with you for another three hours and and keep geeking about this stuff. <laughs> but my wife would get, you know, a little upset that I missed dinner, I suppose. I hear you. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much, Nick, for coming. This was a, this was a blast. And I, I hope we can get you back on here again to talk about some other stuff. Cause, uh, you're, you're a fun geek to talk to. Thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you chat for being here with us. Um, if you liked it, please, uh, consider like, and subscribe and follow if you're watching on Twitch. Cause we do go both YouTube and Twitch. Um, it's those things are free, but they make us feel, you know, really loved. So, you know, give us a follow and a like and a subscribe. Um, if you want to talk to us, I'm usually over on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Ducky Dev Show over there. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, Twitch. We have a Discord. Um, you can find all that, all the links to all that stuff in our Twitch channel. 
Um, you can also go to rubberduckdevshow.com, sign up for the newsletter, which right now is just letting you know when we've put the official um, um, episodes out. Uh, we don't spam you because, you know. I don't like spam! Um, but we will uh, let you know there. You can also find the uh, audio podcast version of this show everywhere that podcasts live. So your favorite podcast provider, uh, you can find this there. Um, again, thank you, Nick. I had a blast today. Thank I you. hope everybody in chat enjoyed it. And thank you for, for coming and talking with us. Uh, and we will see you next Thursday with our friend Drew Bragg is going to talk to us about uh, motivating yourself and getting stuff done. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll see you then. Uh, hope you guys have a great week. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming. Happy programming.